message is on pain and suffering. My grace is sufficient for you. Uh, and I think the Holy Spirit directed me to write this because I personally needed to hear this. Uh, our home has become, in many ways, the repository of bad news. People call us from the church, and they ask us to pray for them. Uh, and often the news is not good. And so God prepares us. He affirms us. And so the question becomes, how, as Christians, do we walk this path when we experience suffering, when we experience despair, when we see our bodies fail us? Uh, you know, my dad used to say, and was a pastor for 55 years, and it's so true. He says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And you know, that is poignant, true, but at the same time, we don't want to undergo the pain and suffering that is inevitable in this life. And so as we study the life of Paul, there probably is no greater example for me than how this man, this great apostle, experienced pain and suffering and debilitation and despair and persecution. It was almost as if every single day of his life, there was something going wrong uh, and coming down on him. And yet we see how he handled it. We see the words of affirmation that come through him, through God. And it becomes increasingly important for us to study this and be aware of this, because this is how we walk in this world. God calls us to spread the gospel. God calls us to be different. And so if God calls us to be different, then we can't experience pain and suffering in the same way that non-Christians do. Because they're called to look at us. They're called to see us. And God exhibits his glory through us as he paints us, even to these most incredible periods of our lives. And so God is preparing us to be useful servants. He knows what is best for us. He knows what our destiny is. And so everything he allows into our life, everything is to lift us up in order to serve him and glorify him. A good beginning on this, understanding scripture, and I'm going to take you through a number of scriptures as we study this, can be found in Romans chapter 8, verse 22 to 23. If you look on the board, you'll see it on the screen. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And so the first sermon point is this, our bodies groan for our adoption as sons of God. What does it mean that the creation groans? It means even when you see hurricanes, 
and disasters as the earth has volcanic activity and earthquakes. You know, the creation was never meant to fail in that way. But at the Garden of Eden, when sin came into the world, not only did we fall, but the very creation fell. And that's why you see the results of sin in every way. And so Paul says that the creation itself is groaning, groaning for redemption. Just like we groan. Every day of our lives, we're groaning. We may not even realize it. But have you ever felt like you get up and you just go, or maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that be you. But I know you felt this way. It is the groaning of adoption as a son. It is groaning for Jesus to come in and to lift us up. You see, that's what's happening in our bodies and that's what's happening in the world in every way as we groan for our adoption as sons. And so it's not only the fragile bodies that make me groan, but it's our fallen nature. I want you to understand that. You have the Adamic nature, meaning that from the Garden of Eden, our very nature has been damned, all right? It's why we sin. It's why, it's why every day of our life, even as we're, we're saved, yet we still fall because it is the fallen nature. And so our groaning relates both to our present pain and our future longing. We want to be with God. We want to be in heaven. We want to be with our family who has gone before us. And that's what it's about. And so our desire here as this church is to equip you, you see, to equip you to walk in this world uh, as you experience pain and suffering and loss. And all of us, you see, all of this as we study scriptures brings us back to Saul of Tarsus, uh, who would be the greatest Christian evangelist missionary in the history of the world, who God would use even as he endured this pain, suffering, and persecution. Even as he endured that, he would write more than half of the New Testament. Can you imagine? Uh, and so, we understand this, it re- and it, it, all of it related to the harshness of life that he suffered uh, and ministry even as he was persecuted. Now, the second letter, uh, the apostle's second letter to the Corinthian church uh, is the most autobiographical, I believe, of all his writings. And a few of those passages become very relevant as you see the extent of what this man endured uh, and the sermon point here for you is Paul understood how God used pain and suffering to change us. And here's the point I want you to know. When the world suffers pain and suffering, there's no upside. But when you suffer pain and suffering, you need to know that God is involved. He's using this to paint the picture of your life that will bring glory to him that will ring out to a lost world. And so your pain and suffering is in an entirely different realm than the pain and suffering in the world. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who com- comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. That's one of the reasons 
God allows this into our lives. He wants you to be a vessel because you've suffered. You know what it is to walk in pain. You know what it is to walk in loss, that you can go to somebody, wrap your arms around them, and say, I love you. I know what you're suffering. God was with me. He will be with you. Amen, church? Let's understand this. This is not a heedless message. It's not a heedless walk. This is what it's about. God wants you to comfort them. Really, God wants you to say to people, I know your pain. I know your pain. I've experienced it. And so this means that the specific pain that you suffer enables us to give comfort to others. Not just to comfort to fellow brothers and sisters in the church, but to those who are outside in the world who perhaps may be brought into the kingdom of God because they see how you have endured pain and suffering. You have become a walking poster for what it means to be a Christian. Now, Paul indicated that God held him together. Can you imagine saying that? That God holds me together. And as I walk with the Lord more and more, I understand what he means by that. Because without God in my life, I would be completely coming apart in every way. I couldn't stand to hear the bad news that I hear, to be surrounded by people that I love who are hurting. It would tear me apart as it still does, but yet God gives me a vision of where they're headed and what he's doing. And so the lesson here is that we can never trust in ourselves. If you trust in yourselves, you're going to fail. But if you trust in God, in every way, God will never abandon you. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Again, an autobiographical sketch here. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. That's the key. That's the essence of this message, the last sentence in that, that scripture. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Here's the point. From the day that you were born and created into this world, you were dying. You may not have realized that you were, but you were every day that went by. But as a Christian, as a Christian, your death is being given over to Jesus Christ. It's being given over to lift Christ up so that the world can see what Christ is because he lives in you. The very death and resurrection of Jesus Christ lives in you. And that's the point, so that people will see Jesus in your mortal body. That's what I hope we are as a church, that we can live this way so that the world can see it in such a powerful way. This is what life is like, you see. We are afflicted. We are persecuted. We despair. We are crushed. We are struck down but we are never destroyed. You understand? We're never destroyed because God holds us. 
God holds us. And we know where we're headed. We're headed to paradise to be with him. And that whatever he allows in our life is because he's using your life as a painting to demonstrate to the world what God can do with a Christian life. Even more incredibly is the autobiographical statement of persecution. Again, he gives you a window into his life in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. This ought to go on most of our refrigerators. When you think you've had a bad day, I've had a bad day. We all have. Put this on your refrigerator when you reflect on the man who would become the writer of more than half of the New Testament, who would be the greatest evangelist in the history of the world, who would basically pull out all of the flesh to our theology. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ, he asked? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And there you understand what it means to be a great apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ as God allows these things into his life as he was forming him and perfecting him and raising him up to be the singular greatest missionary in the history of the church as this man would experience things like no one else has ever experienced. And so he's telling us there that he developed his theology of pain and suffering uh, in the very crucible, in the very crucible of suffering. He knew first how hard it was to be misunderstood. He was misunderstood by the church as they packed him off for 10 years because they didn't want to be around him. He was mistreated. He was forgotten. He was abused. He was maligned. Uh, and, and in fact, he was stoned several times really unto death, left for dead. And yet, remarkably, in all of this, he never boasted. You never hear him saying, oh, yeah, look at me. What a great Christian I am. Look how strong I am that I can withstand all this. Oh, yes, I've got a great DNA in my body. No, he recognized that he was weak and that only in his weakness did God pour his strength. And he says, he confesses, if I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. This is an amazing statement. Boasting in weakness. You'll never hear this in our Western culture because in our Western culture, it's only power and success that matters. But you see in Christianity, it's weakness. 
It's personal weakness as you recognize that my grace is sufficient for you, that we walk in him, that as we're weakened in our body, he pours his spirit and strength into us. And so this man, as great as he was, as I always say, wherever he was, he was the single most intelligent person in the room, wherever he was, found it necessary at one time to defend his apostleship to the Corinthian church. Now, that speaks a lot about the Corinthian church, doesn't it? You want to see an example of a bad church? Read Corinthians, and you'll see it. They didn't think he was that good. How about that? They had other guys they liked better than Paul. They didn't care that much for Paul. They were a fickle bunch, concerned more about outward appearances. And here's the thing. I'm sure they wanted to pick somebody who was tall, had a good head of hair, you know, had a booming voice. Well, this guy was short. He was bald. He had a hooked nose. And he was never the kind of guy you would pick to be the leader. But guess what? God picked him. You understand? That's why don't be swayed by physical appearances. All right? Don't. And I say that to you as a guy that's up here behind this podium. All right? Don't be swayed by physical appearances. Uh, as you see here, and as part of his defense, part of his defense, he includes a description uh, of the supernatural revelation that God gave him to sustain him during the darkest periods of time where God took him and brought him into the throne room of heaven. How about that? We don't hear that from anybody else. He took him and brought him into heaven so he could see what he was preaching about. He could see the end of the race. He could see where he was headed. And he talks about this. Uh, and the sermon point here is in order to prepare Paul for the pain and suffering he would endure, the Lord gave him a vision of what heaven would look like. That's how much God loves you. He gives you a vision. And so now we have a vision because Paul gives us this vision. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ, and he's speaking about himself now, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, and the third heaven is not the atmosphere, it's not the stars. It's where God is, the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. How about that? That's where you all are headed. That's where we're going to be, where God is. That's why we suffer. That's why we endure. That's what he's preparing us for. This is not a fickle walk of faith, not for you. There's no fickle walk of faith. You have a predetermined destination. You're going to heaven. And so, though mostly shrouded in mystery, this passage is one of the most remarkable in all of Scripture, as it says, if the curtains of heaven are pulled away. Yet he does not hold back the truth. And so when you delve down into what he says, there are four principles to reflect on 
in that passage. First, he's writing about himself. He doesn't boast and say, I, I. He says, I knew a man, but he's the man he's talking about. He's doing it in a self-deprecating way. Second, he's certain of his location. He calls it the third heaven. Nobody speaks about it in that way. It's not in the atmosphere, high up in the clouds. It's not in the stars and planets. It's beyond the stars. It's beyond the planets. It's where God resides, the third heaven. And his all-consuming consciousness was that he was in the very presence of God. Can you imagine being in the very presence of God, being in the very throne room of God? And so he was somehow transported beyond any conscious limitation of space and matter and time. He didn't even know if it was with his physical body or if it was just with his spirit. He didn't understand, but escorted directly into the presence of God in paradise. Fourth, what he heard and witnessed, he was not permitted to tell. And furthermore, words could not properly express it. How about that? Human words could not express what heaven was like. Oh, it was beautiful. No, not good enough. Oh, it was something I'll never forget. No, not good enough. Your human vocabulary fails miserably when it comes time to describe paradise and being in the presence of God. And so this experience, you see, fortified him, affirmed him, lifted up for a lifetime service that would be filled with pain and suffering. This was God's plan and preparation for Saul. Now think about what most humans would have done in such a situation. Think about the fact if you had gotten that kind of revelation. We would have been filled with pride. Oh, the highest amount of spiritual pride. Oh, God gave me a revelation. Oh, we'd be on the radio. We'd be on television. We would be bragging night and day. Uh, And here's the point. God doesn't want human braggadocia. He doesn't want that. He wants you to be humbled. And so what does he do knowing, knowing Brother Paul, knowing that he might, in fact, walk in that path? What does he do? He gives him a thorn in the flesh. Here's the theology of our Christianity. God gave him a thorn in the flesh. And he speaks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, meaning it was some physical, debilitating situation. We don't know what it is, but he prays a number of times to be cured, and God says, no, no. But I can be a better preacher. No. But I can be stronger. No. I can go more places for you. No. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And there he talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Because of these surpassingly great revelations, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And so after the glory came the pain. It was an agony that would accompany him for the rest of his life. 
And so the sermon point here is that God allowed a thorn in the flesh to keep him from being prideful, to keep him under the cross, to keep him submitted. Now, here's the thing. If one as great as Paul goes through this, how much more does it relate to us? How much more does it relate to us? And here's the practical application for you as you leave here. We are all going to experience pain and suffering and bad diagnosis. We all are eventually going to die and leave this world. The question is, how are we going to live with this? How are we going to, how are we going to affirm what God is doing in our lives? What it means to be saved? What it means to have God walk with us, even as we don't understand these individual speed bumps? I don't know. I don't know what God is doing with you, but he's preparing you. He's making you greater. He's using you as a minister, even through these terrible, terrible things. And so we don't know what that thorn was. Theologians have all kinds of opinions, including eye issues, that really made him a very unattractive person. But what we do know is that this kept this man on his knees. And have you ever noticed this? that you pray harder and more poignantly when things are going rough. Am I right? Oh, yeah, when things are going good, bring out the parade. Let me have the flag. I'm marching down the street. Oh, yes, God is good. God is great. I'm good. But then all of a sudden, we get some bad news. We get some bad news. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's not so great. It's not so great. And what you see then is that's the time we get on our knees because we don't get on our knees during the good times. It's too bad. We don't get on our knees and thank God. And so the message here is get on your knees now. Get on your knees now to thank him for what he's given you. Thank him for the blessings of your life. Thank him for salvation. And I will say this to you. If he never gives you another thing in your life, the fact that he saved you says, paid in full. Understand? Paid in full. And remember that during the dark days. Remember that. And so the sermon point here is that God's answer to Paul's prayer about removing the thorn is, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Oh, God. Oh, Lord, may I learn that message. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. That's when God shows you who he is. When you're down and out and weak and he fills you with his spirit and he perfects you. And so this is a good time to correct faulty theological thinking. And I want to do it here from the pulpit. It is not always God's plan that you will be healed. I know you're going to go on television and you're going to find guys that, have, guys that have a prayer cloth. You send in 50 bucks, all right? You're going to be healed. God doesn't want you to be sick. Well, let me ask you this. If Paul, the greatest apostle in the history of the world, prayed to be cured and he wasn't cured, what makes you think that God says that you can't be sick? What makes you think that? It's not biblical. You understand? It's not biblical. And so here's the point. We pray. 
without ceasing. God, heal us. Heal our friends. Heal our people in the church. And we pray continually. And that's our responsibility. You have a responsibility to pray. And you've walked in pain because you know what it is so that you can pray. So that your heart breaks for those who are suffering. That's your responsibility. But at the end of the day, God does not have to heal you. It is his happiness. God's chief concern for your life, and listen to this. God's chief concern for your life is not your temporal happiness in this world. Not your temporal happiness in this world. It's about your spiritual destiny for eternity. That's what God is concerned about. To mold you and perfect you and use you in the mightiest way. And so when you are suffering, when you're despairing, what I would say to you this is we must remember this, that suffering is not about identifying the cause, but rather focusing on the response. Father, I know I'm down, but I know you have a plan for my life. I know you are doing things with me, Lord, and I ask you to give me wisdom as I deal with this. And so the sermon point here is that when we are weak, God pours his strength into us and gives us an entirely new perspective on pain, suffering, hardship, and pressure. These very hardships and strains drive us to our knees. It is at this point that God comes through. He wants you on your knees. That's why he allows the pain and suffering into our life. Let me underscore a foundational point here that I want you to remember. God's ultimate goal for your life is not to make sure that you are happy. Our Christian life is not about being comfortable, about being happy, about being successful and being pain-free. Rather, it is about becoming the man or woman that God wants you to be. That's what this is all about. That's what I want you to remember here as you leave church today. Life is not about you. It's about him. You understand? He saved you for a purpose. It's not about you. It's about him. And so we rarely hear this message proclaimed in our churches in America today as we focus on success and prosperity and blessings. It's not about all those things that we try to grab. It's about bowing before the throne and becoming the man or woman that he would want us to be. This is how I can become content with weakness, with insults, with distress for his sake, for his sake. And so we must understand this, that as we go through these things, this is when Christ comes to the forefront. This is when we see Jesus in his perfection coming forward as he's perfecting us. My grace, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, I am strong. What a magnificent way to live your life. And that way you're not borne out by the vicissitudes of life, the ups or downs, the bad news, the despair. You have your view on the cross. You've dedicated yourself to Jesus. And you know that he's using you and lifting you up and making you something special. Something special, incredibly. Now look, there are, these are timeless truths uh, to understand this issue of suffering. And I want you to understand this, that suffering is not new in the Bible. The oldest book of the Bible, Job, 
There is a phrase there in which Job said, for man is born of trouble as sparks fly upward. He also said, shall we accept just good from God and not adversity? I love that section of Job where his lovely wife, at one of the worst times of his life, where everything around him is collapsing and she goes, curse God and die. I had a man in my dad's church whose wife would say that to him from time to time. And he had an equally good response. He would say to her, Job's wife. That was a happy marriage. But you understand, it's nothing new in Scripture about suffering. Open it up and read it. You'll see it. Uh, and you, you see it also really in the life of Joseph, 17 years carved out away from his family, sold into slavery, and several years in prison. How's that? How's that? Uh, and so, but what did he do at the end of all that? What did he do when he came and saw his brothers after 17 years? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's something I have as a plaque in my office. What you meant for evil. God meant for good. Walk like that. Talk like that. That's your spiritual promise. He surrounds you and lifts you up and affirms you and promises you that. Third, release the idea that contentment requires comfort. All right? Release that idea. Instead, note, I'm going to heaven. I'm going there. Paul has given me a vision of what's there on the other side. And know that God is creating something mighty with your life, even as you go through pain and suffering. You know, as I bring the message to a close, there's a great verse in uh, 1 Peter that speaks about the angels. I didn't cite it, but you can look it up. The angels looking down at us in awe as they see what God is doing with his human creation. They were there at the beginning. They saw God create us. They saw the Garden of Eden. They saw the fall of man. And yet they look and they see how some of that creation bow to the throne and allow Christ into their lives. And how now, even in the worst of times, in the worst of times, they lift up and worship God. And the angels are in awe. And so I would say this to you today. The angels are looking at you. The angels are watching you. They're watching you, even as the world watches. So yes, you're hurting. Yes, you have pain. Yes, you have suffering. But there's a purpose. God is using you. He's lifting you up. He's glorifying himself in you in every day. So don't be despairing. Know what the end game is. Know that you're headed towards paradise. You're headed to God. That the same vision that Paul got is, got is your vision. That's where you will see what God is doing in your life. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you, Father, that you've spoken to us on this important subject of pain and suffering, something that we all will experience. And so, Lord, I ask that today the practical application of this message leaves us as we walk out the door, that we recognize there is a greater purpose in our life than mere temporal contentment. We're not here 
just to have a good experience in this world. We have a much more fundamental, poignant destination. It's heaven with you. And so in every way of our life, Father, glorify us. Glorify you, Father, through our bodies. Lift up the message of Christ through you and every, through us in every way. Be with our people, protect our people, and bring them back again to continue the study of your word as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church.